and particularly in John chapter 4. It's, it's a very famous passage. If you don't know the Bible, it's not famous, so uh, we'll read it. Um, but for those of us who've been around a little bit, it's one of those passages you may have heard of and from. I hope uh, the Lord will speak. I'm sure he will straight again. It's going to be on the screen, and um, here we go. It's, it's 42 verses, this little bit anyway. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sycane, the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's a pragmatist. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you've had no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, the disciples returned. Oh, pesky disciples. And we're surprised to find him talking with a woman. 
but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Wow. Good, hey? Well listened. Well listened. Do you know that story? Good. It's an amazing story. I've, I've heard some uh, wonderful talks on on this passage from all sorts of angles. But I want to, to this evening, draw an angle that um, I hadn't noticed before. And uh, just, I hope maybe you haven't either. <laughs> all right, it's a reminder. You know the, uh, the background. Jesus, uh, in John's Gospel, he's begun to, 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 in his public ministry, and John arranges his Gospel in a different way than, than the other Gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, tend to be much more what we call chronological in the order that it happened and uh, the times that it happened. And, and they are very similar. John is, is very different to those first three Gospels. He is doing something different. He's not giving a different Gospel. He's still talking about Jesus, but he's doing it in a different way. He's doing it in what technically is called a theological way. So rather than chronological in the order that it happened, he's doing it with kind of an understanding. There's a deep... The, pr, pr, He's, he's demonstrating and showing something of meaning. Not that the others haven't got meaning, but he's doing it with a particular focus in a particular way. And the gospel is ordered like this. For those, the first 12 chapters are about the signs. The signs that Jesus does, that God does. And then what Jesus came to do. And the gospel starts with that wonderful prologue of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We hear that at Christmas. And then we, we hear about Jesus calling some disciples and then he ends up at a wedding. And uh, Henry's been to one of those yesterday. Stuff of life. And then there's a guy called Nicodemus who um, is kind of intrigued about Jesus. I mean, intrigued but a little bit hesitant because he comes at night 
And there's a contrast between chapter 3 and chapter 4, but there's lots of similarities. Nicodemus, a religious leader, someone high up on the pecking order of, of the knowledgeable and the powerful and those with status and a lot to lose, he comes at night because he's anxious that no one else sees his approach, but he's curious enough to move out from the kind of uh, the rooms of learning in Jerusalem and comes to Jesus and they dialogue at night. And then in chapter 4, we, we find that Jesus is, has moved away from Judea. He's, he's decided he's go, got to go back to, to Galilee. And unlike all of the, um, unlike all of the kind of religious um, and the, the kind of normal people of, of, of Israel, they would take this long, winding route rather than going straight through. Their sat-navs were always kind of directing them the scenic route. Well, it wasn't necessarily scenic, but it was the holy way. It was the way that avoided the trouble spots. It was the way that avoided the embarrassment of having to journey through Samaria. Because Samaria was that place where the distant relatives lived, and you didn't want to hang out with them because... It always ended up in an argument. It always ended up in kind of uh, standoffishness. It always ended up in kind of like drawing up all that old history. It always ended up in kind of this uh, of realizing why actually you wanted to take the long way, not the direct way, because you'd avoid them at all costs. Because way back in their history, they used to be kind of one nation and then they got separated and the Samaritans started to worship other gods and they intermarried with other people and they kind of dishonored what the true Jews thought was right. So they thought, let's go the long way. So Jesus, I don't think by accident, in fact, the scriptures tell us in chapter four, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So there's Nicodemus at night coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to be saved? You've got to be born again, Nicodemus. How can an old man get back into the birth canal? Well, that's not the point. You've got to be born from above. Everyone's born naturally, but you've got to be born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, will you be born again? And here's Jesus now traveling on, and rather than, than going the long-winded, the windy route, he goes straight through, and this time it's noontime, and the sun is overhead, and it's hot, and it's dusty, I suspect, because they didn't have tarmac, and they were on their roads, and they were hungry, and they'd been traveling, and Jesus sends off his, uh, his, his colleagues, his disciples, and says, go into town, and, and they're probably feeling a little bit anxious because they know what this place is like. It's got a reputation. It's got a backstory. It's got stories of people who say, you know, they're them Samaritans. Turn your glaze, they'll nick your wallet. <laughs> Don't hang out with them. And Jesus is left at the well. And Jesus is waiting. The disciples have gone, and, and uh, John doesn't just throw away information that is pointless. He says, they came to Samaria, a town called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. That Jesus has entered into the territory of the Samaritans. That Jesus has purposefully gone from the center of Jewish life to this place that the Jews thought were they, it was as bad pretty much as the Gentiles. And actually those who used to be close to you are probably worse than those who are your enemies because there's common history. And the pain is even more profound. Jesus enters into the territory and, and at the well, there's this most remarkable encounter At the well, Jesus is sitting and waiting. And from the village comes a Samaritan woman. We never know her name. But we know she's a Samaritan. And she's a woman. And all of a sudden, you, you begin to see that the awkwardness of this day is getting more and more. The disciples have been sent off to get food. And it's midday and it's hot. I mean, they've been traveling. They've not just traveled in the, the easy times of day, the morning and the evening. They're still traveling in the high, the high noon. And Jesus says, go off and get some food, and, and off they go. And, and they're a little bit annoyed when they come back because Jesus kind of doesn't seem to be hungry anymore. You know, where's the food? Where you wanted food? We've got it now. You're not hungry. Has he got food from somewhere else? But at the, at the well, from the village comes the woman to draw water. And it's kind of unusual to do so. Those people who tell us about these things of, of cultures know that you go and get the water when it's cool, when it's the beginning of the day, when at the start of the day, I mean, if you, if, you, if you watch any natural history programs or programs about other cultures in the world, if you had the privilege to be in in parts of the world where people still go and collect their water in buckets and pots every day. You get the water in the morning because you've got to do the cooking and you've got to do the washing and you've got to do the, the bathing and you've got to have it prepared for the day because cooking isn't just boiling a kettle and you know, an instant food. It takes time. But she's not. She's gone late. She's gone to avoid the crowd. She's gone because she knows that she's the last. And by noon, everyone else is back home, resting, it's hot, and she sets out. And she meets him at a well. Now, this is the remarkable thing about this story. And we'll come on to the Samaritan woman and Jesus and what they say. But for those who've got a memory about the scriptures, there's something profound about where this takes place. That Jesus is at the well. We're told it's Jacob's well. He was given the land, the plot of land. It was at the well that Joseph and his, uh, Jacob and his offspring and their livestock drank at. But there's something really profound in, in, uh, in the Old Testament about wells. There's something that actually kind of major life events happen at wells. Do you know what I mean? Can you remember some of the stories? 
that, that key characters, Jacob was one of them, but there was also Isaac, and there's also Moses in the beginning of, uh, of, of Exodus in chapter 2. They go to a well, and at the well they meet a pretty woman, and they have a dialogue, and the woman goes back and says, I've met my husband. And everyone comes out from the, uh, the town, and they meet the guy, and there's a big party, because there's a marriage. There's a betrothal. There's a, a happy, happy day. Turn, if you have Bibles, uh, it, we encourage you to have them with you on devices or whatever you prefer, or even paper. And uh, into uh, Exodus chapter 2, um, Moses has fled uh, now a pre, uh, to Midian, because he's, uh, you know, maybe know the story, you can read it, but verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Hruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man and gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and, and Moses named him Gershon. But the same story is, is repeated in chapter 24 of Genesis and chapter 29. There's something wonderful here that Jesus encounters this woman and shock horror, it's reminding us of the Old Testament. And actually, there's the hint of wedding bells. There's the hint of a man and a woman at a well. There's the hint of love. There's more than a hint of love. There's the hint of Jesus has gone from Judea and he has to go through Samaria. And he has to be at this well at noon because he wants to meet this woman. at the well to begin the betrothal ceremony. Now, I'm not going to start preaching heresy and say Jesus then got married in Sica and Jesus had a wife and the gospel of, of Jesus' wife. That, that isn't what I'm saying. But what I am saying, because John is being theological, is saying that there's something in this story that is really profound about what Jesus has come to do. That in this story, the, the, the background of this story, everyone with eyes could see, could see that a man journeys into another region to a well. He, he goes from his place of normal living and meets at a well and meets a local woman. And there's a conversation that ensues and there's water that is drawn. And the woman then goes and tells her friends and the man that she meets becomes betrothed. There's something very profound in what John is telling us. See, even back in chapter 3, verse 29, the kind of the ground has been set. So verse 70, uh, 27, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. This is about John. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine 
and is now complete. Jesus is setting the scene to say that he has come to wed. He has come to rescue. He has come to meet. He has come to draw to himself. But the shock of chapter 4 is kind of who Jesus chooses. She's not Miss Universe. She's not Miss Samaria. She's tainted goods. You see, the shock of this story that Jesus had to go to and through and make happen is not only the Jewish and Samaritan divide and the ethnic tensions. I mean, this is still live. If you saw Nigel Farage's poster today, I mean, we don't, maybe I'm straying onto dangerous ground here, but I've been reflecting on this quite a lot. He said, we don't want those immigrants coming because they look different. Well, they've got different clothes on. This is an aside. Don't get hung up on this. Or maybe you do. But when I looked at that poster, what I see are people, human beings, aren't they? What Jesus sees at the well is a human being. Of course there's an ethnic difference and a racial difference. Of course there is. I mean, they've got geographical lines and this is the place you don't go. We don't want them. We keep them in Samaria. We don't let them into our place. And there's a moral barrier. I mean, this woman has got a track record as long as your arm. Everyone knows her story. She's been around and around and around and around and around and around. Five husbands and this one she's with, not even a husband. She's been around. I mean, she's damaged goods. But at the well, Jesus meets him. There's something really profound for us and for us as a church that signifies who and what we are to be. Let me just read to you a, a couple of verses from Hosea. It's in the Old Testament, and it's chapter 2. Do you know the story of Hosea? I mean, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The story of Hosea has to marry a prostitute who's unfaithful. And Hosea can't abandon her because it's a sign of the love of God. Kind of interesting. Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. Prophetic word. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from their lips, from her lips. No longer will their names be involved. See, one of the things that the Jews hated about the Samaritans is what they started to worship other gods, the Baals. They, were, they weren't pure anymore. By marriage, they'd intermarried with other races, and their worship had got caught up with worshipping other gods. They were messed up. But Jesus, the one full of grace and truth, woos her. 
And it's a shocking scene that Jesus woos, it's a funny word, isn't it, woo? Woos her. It starts off slowly and gently, but not overpressuring. Will you give me a drink? And she doesn't answer, okay, or no, get it yourself, you lazy guy. You know, she immediately knows this is weird. You're a a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. You know, ethnic boundaries, gender boundaries, ethical boundaries. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That sounds interesting. Living water. Uh, but how do you get this? You've not got a bucket. You've not got a rope. You've not got... How do you get this? I mean, there's a well here. I've got to lower down. It's deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? Who dug this well? Who gave us this well? You see, here's the significance of the well. You see, at that place... There's a common ancestry. At that place is the meeting because from Jacob, who got to be called Israel, from Israel came, came the 12 tribes, the 12 brothers. And from them, Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God, who we've been learning about in the morning in Exodus and, and how God called them to be a people and gave them the promised land. And it all seemed to be great. And then they forgot God and they got all caught up with politics and other things. And they, they took their eyes off God and, and the northern kingdom the ten tribes of which the Samaritans were part went off and did their own thing. But in meeting at the well, it's like common ground saying we're not that different after all. Don't you remember? That the incarnate Son of God goes into Samaria, goes to the well, sits and waits and encounters And draws close. And he addresses the fact that she has a common thirst. Everyone gets thirsty. And Jesus says, There's a thirst here I'm addressing that is more than just being parched. It's that spiritual thirst, it's that longing thirst, it's that thirst that says, Where can I find to quench my soul? More than just water on the noonday when it's baking and you go, water. But in a life that is parched and dried up, in a life that is in a barren place, that a life that has struggled and struggled to find something that will sustain, Jesus comes and says, here, I give you water, living water for your soul, for your life, that you will never thirst again because it is enough. Where do I get it? And Jesus doesn't point to some philosophy or ideology or some place. You know, that's the debate on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You've, or this procedure or that procedure or that rite or that religious ceremony. 
doesn't do that in the slightest. He says, where do you get it? You get it from me. I give it to you. Gone is religion in that one fell swoop. Gone are ceremonies. Gone are just the obstacles of rotation and rote. I give it to you. I give it to you, who's come close, who's crossed the barriers, crossed the divides, journeyed to encounter you in this place this day, going across all the taboos and all the boundary lines and all the geographical lines and all the ethnic lines and all the lines that would say should not, should not, should not, cannot, not worthy. I am he. I will give you water to quench your thirst. to meet your faith. You see, isn't this a wonderful story? She's had five husbands, and the sixth she's with is not a husband, and um, we don't know. He's the seventh. Ding dong. Not the wedding bells this time, but the light switch, the, the penny dropping. Seven is a number in Scripture for perfection, for holiness, for completeness. The seventh... Jesus is here, the perfect man. Not someone who will leave her and abandon her and say, sullied, tainted, I'll move on to the next, cast you off. The perfect man, Jesus Christ, gives the water. Jesus doesn't get a drink because just at that moment when it's got really profound because it says it in the story I the one speaking to you am he dear John and Peter and, and, and the disciples come back and they like interrupt it and they're surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman Jesus what are you doing don't you know people will talk I mean, what are you doing, Jesus? But no one kind of, you know, eyes, you know, glances say a lot. No one was kind of going to say it up front to Jesus. No one asked, what do you want? Why are you here talking to her? But eyes and glances take a lot. She knew. She knew that these guys didn't like her. She leaves the water jar. In goes back, Jesus is still thirsty. I love that. Um, and she goes back to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything I ever did. And the disciples are going, eat something. <laughs> Jesus is going, well, I've not had water and I've actually got food to eat that you know nothing about. And someone else brought him food. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Really, really important. You see, at this, at this well, this sign, this picture of Jesus coming to, the, to one character who epitomizes, who symbolizes, who demonstrates how far people have fallen, but how dead set Jesus is drawing close. No matter who we've become, dead set on going to meet at that well, at that time, at that place, crossing all the barriers and all the boundaries and all the hurdles that would be set up in place. And even in her own mind, she was 
talking to me, a woman, and a Samaritan woman, and don't you know who I am? Yeah. Come to speak, to meet with you. And all the signs and all the symbols of this story point to wedding, to bride, to groom, to love. Deep, profound love. That the story for John in his deep meaning is that there's a betrothal going on. And it's to the broken and the least and the rubbish and the on the sidelines that he's come and says, I'm the bridegroom. You're the bride. But he doesn't marry the Samaritan woman, just to make that clear again. But it's a sign that he actually is calling out a bride. You know, really interesting, John, in his gospel, has a time when Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And it's, it's actually in the consummation of this relationship. Not just with this woman, but with all humanity. That Jesus at the well says, will you give me a drink? And, and he ends up not obviously having a drink from, from the well at that moment that's recounted for us. I'm, I'm, please don't think that Jesus never drank. You know, he never had any water. That's not what I'm saying. But John in his gospel in, in chapter 19, verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished, remember the language that Jesus has just said. My will, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Chapter 4, verse 34. Chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and as they soaked a sponge in it, they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The engagement at the well, the reaching out, the embracing, the beginning of this relationship is consummated on the cross. Such is the love of God that he enters in and crosses the boundaries and goes exactly to where we need him. He meets us. And he says, I give you living water. I give you water that will quench your soul. Nowhere else you will find it. And it's not about routine and religion and where to worship and who, you know, a mountain or Jerusalem or all of that stuff from which is it from the Jews or the Samaritans. It's him. It's him. It's him. I, the one who's speaking to you, am he. St. Augustine, a theologian commenting, on the cross says this like a bridegroom christ went forth from his chamber he came to the marriage bed of the cross and there mounting it he consummated his marriage and when he perceived the size of the creation the creation creatures he lovingly gave himself up 
to the torment in place of his bride and joined himself to her forever. John is purposefully knowing what he's doing. He's painting a picture and saying, here is the love of God, and here is the bridegroom, and he's, he's looking out and saying, you're it. I love you. I choose you. I cross all the barriers. I come as the word of God who is with God in the beginning. I come for you and meets you in your place and meets you in your brokenness and meets you when even other people shun you. He encounters us and loves us and woos us, beckons us to join him. Come. I want you. I love you. You're mine. You're precious and honored in my sight. And you've, you've been unfaithful and you won't meet anyone like him. He's the giver of this living water and he's the perfect man. Come. And he makes the way and as he dies upon the cross, it is finished. Not the relationship. Not at all. But the beginning of eternal life. The life everlasting. The life with him. What an amazing story. What an invitation. This woman is overjoyed. She rushes to the town. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, let me tell you. I mean, gone is the embarrassment. He told me everything I ever did and it wasn't judgmental. And then the Samaritans came to him. I mean, they were curious and they said, stay with us. I mean, why wouldn't you want to stay with Jesus? And many more became believers. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Why did Jesus have to go there? From Judea to Galilee through this place. Because his love is beyond just for the Jews. He's the savior of the world. And he esteems and lifts up and meets a broken, fragile on the scrap heap, past it, no one wants, damaged goods. I'll have you, says Jesus. You're mine. And maybe tonight, you need to hear that. Maybe tonight, you need to hear that for yourself. He calls you. And maybe tonight for us who've known this for a long time, we're reminded of the epic love for us. And let's just be like the woman and rush out and say, let me tell you, this one who loves me. Can we do that? Let's pray together.